Hello everyone and welcome to the episode 115 of Cosmic Dancer, Lo-Fi Music, Hi-Fi Faith. Today I'm thrilled, I'm Cristiano Lucchini, because um, I have with me uh, two, uh, you know, uh, very important um, Uh, you know, um, people that uh, know very much about Vedanta and uh, Epicureanism, that are, you know, two philosophies that, um, you know, we will try not to compare, but we will try to, to discuss about possible, you know, analogies and differences. Uh, I have uh, with me, you know, the um, my um, classic guest, there is uh, Dr. Jayashankar, Krishnamurti, um, Vedanta uh, teacher, uh, director of the Vedanta Institute in Hyderabad uh, in India and uh, senior disciple of the eminent Vedanta um, philosopher Swami Parthasarathy. Aryam Jayashankar, thanks for being with me again <laughs> in this long part together. Uh, thanks very much. And then uh, um, I have with me uh, Professor uh, Tim O'Keefe, that is, uh, you know, that specializes ancient philosophy, particularly Hellenistic philosophy, um, and uh, he um, works for the uh, Georgia State University, isn't it? Professor, thanks very much for being uh, with us, with me. Uh, today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the invitation. It's a, it's a great pleasure, you know, to, to discuss two analogies and um, divergences between Vedanta and uh, Epicurean uh, philosophy and how they can inform our understanding of uh, happiness, ethics, nature, and the divine, okay? Um, I uh, would start with, um, you know, the, the first question. Uh, Vedanta philosophy teaches that uh, moksha, or spiritual enlightenment, can be achieved by realizing one's true nature as Atman and its unity with Brahman. Epicureanism sees the soul as material and mortal. How do these um, differing views on the soul shape each philosophy's approach to achieving inner peace or ataraxia that, um, you know, is about a very uh, peaceful calmness, okay? So, um, let's start with um, uh, Professor O'Keefe about this vision um, of Epicureanism, uh, about uh, inner peace and, um, you know, reaching ataraxia. Sure. Um, so Epicureanism is officially a form of hedonism. It believes that the highest good is pleasure and the, high, and the worst bad is pain. But they understand pleasure not primarily in terms of like the kind of pleasure you get uh, from just like eating a hamburger or whatever. You know, they do think that the highest form of pleasure is ataraxia, which is usually translated as tranquility or peace of mind. So in order to get a pleasant life, what you ultimately want is peace of mind. And peace of mind you get by eliminating negative emotions, emotions like regret, anxiety, and fear. 
Um, and this doesn't have so much to do with the soul being material or the mind being material. I'll talk about that in a, in a minute. But part of it has to do with understanding what desires you should have and which desires you shouldn't have. Because we desire a lot of things that we shouldn't, and this excessive desire causes a lot of anxiety and dissatisfaction. So maybe I can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, also, an important part of having a secure life and having a life where you don't have a lot of fear is having a good set of friends. You know, having people you can depend on, people you can interact with. But as far as the soul being mortal and material goes, the Epicureans are materialists. They believe that the universe is ultimately atoms, which are unsplittable little bits of matter, uh, flying through the void, which is empty space. And human beings are material creatures. We're like other animals. Uh, you know, our mind and our body are all composed of atoms, and therefore they think that death is annihilation. They think that when you die, your body stops functioning, your mind stops functioning, the atoms that make you up disaggregate, and therefore when you die, that's the end of your existence. But they believe that uh, realizing that death is annihilation shouldn't cause fear. They actually believe the opposite that the fear of death is one of the causes of anxiety and unhappiness. But if death is annihilation, then it can't be bad for you because there's no pain in death. And they also believe that um, you know, when you're dead, if you don't exist, it can't be bad for you. There's no one there for death to be bad for. So since death is annihilation, which is a consequence of their understanding of the nature of the person, they think that that helps eliminate one of the fears that gets in the way of you achieving happiness. Okay. Okay. Thanks for your very uh, clear um, explanation. Um, uh, Josh Shankar, here we find, uh, you know, and then, then you can start, please, uh, with the Vedantic perspective, you know, a very, um, you know, clear difference you know with the with yes. vedanta because uh, um especially you know in the you know if you think about when we stop um to live okay and in epicureanism you know this is it we stop to live okay um what about uh, you know uh, vedanta and uh, you know the you know, the, the concept of uh, um, approach, obviously, you know, summarizing, you already know that, um, for this kind of uh, meeting, um, how to approach to, you know, to inner peace and, you know, stop uh, suffering, okay, of mind. So, the, yeah, the first and foremost thing is uh, the our focus of attention is on the world which is constantly changing our happiness which is the pursuit of all uh, activities that also will be changing now if I want happiness from the world which is changing and if I want a permanent happiness then I will be disappointed so what Vedanta is talking about is, analyze the world. From a world which is changing, it is impossible that a person can derive happiness which will be permanent. 
So this uh, uh, analysis helps us. Now, you, you know, uh, Vedanta philosophy is talking about uh, uh, spiritual enlightenment, realization. Now, what is realization? Realization is not by studying Vedantic texts realization that knowledge has to be transformed into wisdom only then there will be that realization within now in very simple terms realization will be something like this that I understand this physical body by itself cannot perform any action there is a principle within me a higher principle which is enabling this physical body to perform an action a simple example, an analogy will help us here. In the puppet show, the puppet is dancing. The puppet by themselves do not have any action. There is a fine wire that is attached to one end of the puppet and the other end of the wire is attached to unseen hand behind the screen. Similarly, this physical body, which is performing action, is equal to And that string is our mind and our thinking. And the unseen hand is, since you use the word Atman, the uh, life principle, the higher self. Realization is simple as this. That I realize that there is a higher principle, which is making my physical body perform that action. It is that higher principle which is making my mind feel various emotions. It is the higher principle which is making my intellect think on various subjects. This is what in simple terms realization is. So, uh, uh, how we can uh, attain that permanent happiness? By realizing that this world is impermanent. And I cannot attain, as a human being, I cannot attain that happiness from the world which is constantly changing. This realization, in simple terms, this is what Vedanta is talking about, uh, you know, the concept of spiritual enlightenment or moksha. Okay, thanks very much. Very clear. Um, uh, now to uh, Professor O'Keefe. Um, Vedanta sees the material world as ma maya or illusion, with only Brahman as ultimate reality. Epicureanism believes the universe fundamentally consists of atoms and void. Um, how do these metaphysical teachings determine each philosophy's perspective on life's purpose and, and meaning? Okay, um, for example, uh, I would like also, uh, please, uh, Prof Professor O'Keefe, also, um, you know, beyond uh, this question on, you know, uh, humans, creature as, you know, uh, a sum of atoms, also, uh, please clarify uh, this vision that uh, I, you know, always noticed in um, various uh, essays on the web and also in forums about Epicurean uh, philosophy about this fact that, you know, um, a lot of people say that uh, um, Epicureanism is, is not a very much inclusive way of uh, uh, seeing life. I mean, an Epicurean is someone that, you know, should stay... Uh, should stay far 
from the you know collectivity what about that you know as a uh, no, no, no. Um, uh, I, I, I said, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I notice a lot of, uh, you know, essays and also, you know, forums that underline the uh, Epicurean style of life as uh, not to be attached too much to people, and uh, you know, as, uh, as, uh, and so atomizing a little bit, you know themselves you know oh 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 okay i understand thank you um <clears throat> so that last point i don't think is quite true so okay uh, for the epicurean so the epicureans think that um you should reduce desires and attachments that lead to suffering right so you know, especially in modern Western consumer culture, which of course Epicurus himself doesn't directly address, but the same sort of thing was there in ancient Greece too. In modern Western consumer culture, we're taught that we need a lot of things that we don't really need. And this attachment leads to suffering because you want things that are difficult to get, you strive for them. When you attain them, you don't actually find them that satisfying, and then you get anxiety because you're worried about whether you can keep them and whether you can continue to attain them. So I think that's one point of contact possibly with what uh, Vedanta was just being said about, you know, if you depend on these unreliable sources for your happiness, you're going to be disappointed. Okay. Uh, but they do think that um, we live in a universe, according to the Epicureans, without purpose or plan. It's just the atoms moving through the void because of their weight, because of collisions with other atoms. We're going to die, and when we die, they think, yeah, we're going to be annihilated. That's the end. But still, we can't attain happiness in this life because we have some basic desires biologically built into us, desires for things like food, drink, shelter. But also, we can arrange our lives so that we can be free of the negative emotions that cause anxiety. And part of that, though, is that we need other people to do that. So the Epicureans actually emphasize the importance of friendship and attaining happiness. So you do want to be in community with other people, and the ancient Epicureans did, did form communities. It was kind of like a mutual support network. I'll help you, you help me, and you have gratitude towards your friends. But they do think, though, that even though you have gratitude towards your friends, and friendship is very important, they hope that that doesn't open you up to the possibility of overwhelming grief because they think that we should be grateful for our friends, but that when our friends die, it might hurt a little bit, but because death is not bad for our friends, because they're just dead, that we can accept the departure of our friends with equanimity. So we do need other people, we need friends, uh, we help one another out, but they think that you can have that without having the downside of the overwhelming grief that grief that some people think might come up from having from that kind of relationship with others. Okay, thanks very much for, for clarifying because you know, uh, uh, so Epicureanism is not like you know, I, I read uh, on the web, like uh, I told you about, you know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I follow Epicurean philosophy, so I stay in my place, others and others, this is me, 
this is it. No. Uh, so the Epicurean feels this responsibility, respect to the collectivity, you know? So society, and so this case, friendship, isn't it? Yes, that's right. So the Epicureans do think that what we're striving for is our own happiness. So it is about getting one's own happiness, right? So in that sense, it's all about yourself. But they think that you can't do it alone. So they think that even though you are striving for your own happiness, you need to be a good friend. You need to be a good family member. They also think that the virtues are very important. Things like being courageous, being wise. So they think that there's no um, conflict between being a good person, being a good friend, being a virtuous person, and striving to attain happiness for yourself. Okay, okay. And John Shankar, this is, you know, very, uh, this um, very nice analogy uh, to Vedanta, if you agree with me, about these, uh, you know, um, uh, reflections on, uh, uh, you know, attachments and detachments, you know, and uh, so the, uh, to not be too much involved or not at all in the senses, so, and, um, and also for this sense of responsibility, respect to, you know, society, so this interconnectedness that uh, uh, Vedanta uh, preaches very much. So, uh, I, would I would like to ask you, uh, what about, uh, you know, um, material world as uh, Maya, illusion in Vedanta, um, and uh, uh, what about interconnectedness and, uh, you know, sense of responsibility respect to society in Vedanta? So what is this material world connected with Maya? Maya is a Sanskrit word. It is called not that. It is an illusion. It is there. It is also not there. It is real as well as it is unreal. Now imagine uh, a hot, des hot uh, desert sand. All over the place, you know, I can see uh, terrible heat. In that desert sand, which is so hot, the surface is, uh, you know, blazing hot. And I see a mirage. I don't see the red hot sand. I, I imagine that there is that pool of water which is real. But is that so? It is not. Now, please understand this. Without that substratum, the hot desert sand, nobody can project that mirage in, the, in that place. It is an illusion. I see the world here, the world of objects and beings. Is that real? Vedanta says, this world is a Maya. Like how mirage is a, an illusion, it is there and it is also not there. Same way, this world Maya. Then, if it is not real, is it unreal? Even for that, no, it is Maya again. Now, how do we say that uh, uh, this world is real? We have to define reality this way. That which existed yesterday, reality is defined as 
that which existed yesterday exists today and will exist in the future tomorrow if you fit in this world waking world in this definition of reality it will not uh, stand the test of reality because when i go to sleep last night i slept and i was dreaming imagine if i was dreaming this waking world was not there the dream world was real to me and imagine tomorrow if i you know tonight i go to sleep and i do not dream i get into deep sleep dreamless sleep then dream world is also not there therefore whether it is the waking world or the dream world or the dreamless deep sleep world they do not fit in to the definition of reality therefore vedanta is simply saying please wake up and think straight away vedanta does not dismiss this world as uh, real or unreal keep your uh, intellect your google search called intellect alert and think for yourself and come to your own conclusion so jashankar uh, and sorry and now uh, in fact uh, i would like to ask you um uh, you know in the stereotype about indian philosophies you know and the, you know the eastern world we see uh, you know we imagine you know happiness as to be alone uh, you know in a cave so to be totally isolated uh, is this uh, you know the vedanta vision uh, 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 or you know it's i think uh, really similar and uh, you know to the epicureanism no, no. one not at all if 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 uh, happiness is to live in the cave or ice cold mountains deep inside uh, uh, where there is, there are no human beings then this philosophy vedanta philosophy will be of uh, no use at all to mankind this vedanta philosophy has to be applied in your uh, you know living rooms in your marketplace if you are in manhattan if you are investing money you know stock exchange you should be in thick of thick of action and as a professor used the word equanimous the market fluctuations are there i may lose some money i may gain some money but my my personality my inner personality should be objective i should not lose my mental balance and this is what this vedanta philosophy is all about this vedanta philosophy was uh, uh, taught by lord krishna to arjuna not in the himalayan caves not in ice cold mountains it was taught in the battlefield so please understand this this knowledge is meant for man of action men of action women of action and not for uh, uh, living in ice cold mountains so this is applicable to things across society and uh, uh, this is uh, uh, if it is if it is just uh, uh, applicable only to a small set of people 
then this knowledge will not be uh, uh, practical at all. Okay. So coming back to the main question, I'll just quickly wind up my uh, uh, discussion. This, uh, this word Maya. Now how to put across this, uh, uh, you know, that this world is an illusion to a common man. It is extremely difficult. It is as difficult as this. Now I see light coming from moon. There are so many poems in all literature sang in praising the moon. You know, the mother in, in, a, in, a, in India, uh, you know, uh, the mother feeds the child in the open by singing the song, by seeing the moon. And the child is enjoying that beautiful, uh, uh, you know, uh, late evening. Now, the child is believing that there is light coming from moon. But is there light there? That moonlight is a reflection of sunlight. Similarly, mankind believes there is happiness in the world of objects and relationships. Okay. Now, how to put across this, uh, uh, that there is no happiness inherent in that object or that in that companionship. It is the way how we relate with it. Therefore, when, when uh, we use, Vedanta uses the word Maya as an illusion, when I am living in this world, I should live in such a way that though there is no inherent happiness in the world yet go through this as a means to an ultimate end which is the pursuit of all happiness okay so in that way you know objectively i go through the various experiences in the world as professor and yourself use the word not to get attached be cautious in uh, dealing with the desires in dealing with uh, the worldly senses and objectively tread the path so that I maintain my pursuit of happiness consistently till I reach my ultimate objective of my goal. Okay, okay. Thanks very much. Um, uh, Professor, third question, last uh, that uh, um, I would like to change if you, if you don't mind. Uh, the last two questions um, for you are, um, I, you know, also read a lot of these, uh, you know, associating a certain way, if you want, uh, Epicureanism as an ancient form of hedonism that I don't think is, you know, um, if you also consider, you know, also, you know, as an observer, and I'm a very curious person, you know, Epicurean uh, as, you know, a kind of adjective associated to a, a certain way to be radical chic, you know, in this society. I mean, you know, I'm just looking for, uh, you know, relax, you know, and... Uh, um, like we said, and I don't want to, you know, contaminate my serenity um, with the world. And the second question, which are the peculiarities of um, uh, Epicureanism that you think uh, this world need um, uh, here and now? Yeah, so Epicureanism does think that we can attain happiness here and now in this life uh, they don't believe that this world is an illusion. They think that, now of course, 
the things that we see change all the time, but they think that the reality behind those appearances is material, that it's the atoms moving through the void. Okay. And they think that we can attain happiness in this life. Now, part of that is going to be practical things, like they think that, you know, they talk about natural wealth, that it's okay to try to get at least some things, some material things in order to, for instance, make sure that you have the minimum health care and food that you need in order to avoid bodily distress. But the main emphasis isn't on attaining things. The main emphasis is on changing who you are, because that's under your control. So they believe that um, false beliefs, like beliefs in an afterlife that might contain suffering, or false beliefs about um, meddling gods, they think that those cause distress. They also think that um, excessive desires cause success, and believing that you, know, you should attain fame or power causes distress. And so the main emphasis in Epicureanism is changing your character, changing who you are, because by reducing your desires to uh, you know, what you really need, not just what you're taught by society that you want, by having good relationships with other people, and by having a correct understanding of the world, which they do think is just atoms moving through the void, that having this correct understanding and these correct desires in relations to other people, that will allow you to obtain peace of mind, which is what makes your life pleasant. You know, it's by getting rid of these sources of anxiety, that's what ultimately leads you to have a happy and pleasant life. Okay, so uh, uh, thanks for this very nice explanation. Um, you know, uh, my, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Epicureanism is uh, not about hedonism at all, you know, the pleasure you mentioned it is, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, all the things you are, uh, you are telling about, you know, detachment from excessive pleasures. So this, uh, you know, this distorted vision uh, of Epicureanism uh, as, uh, you know, seeking for pleasure and that's it is, you know, just a distortion. I'm going to say yes, but. So I think that you're right that in the, even Epicurus in his own letters said that people distort Epicureanism by thinking that it's all about seeking pleasure in the popular sense of getting lots of fine food and sexual pleasures and all these sorts of things and partying. And he says it's not about that at all. But he does think it is a form of hedonism, but it's hedonism correctly understood because he thinks that the type of life that we associate with hedonism, the, the live, drink, and you know, be merry you know, kind of lifestyle, actually leads to pain. It actually makes our life unpleasant. So if you correctly understand what really makes our life pleasant, then it's going to be all the sorts of things that you were talking about, you know, about being a good friend, about being a good person, about having correct beliefs about the world and not having these excessive desires, and that will lead to peace of mind but he thinks that peace of mind is what ultimately makes your life pleasant. Okay. And, and um, what about, you know, the you know, few practical teachings of Epicureanism uh, you, um, you know, um, do you think uh, will, um, will be, you know, fundamental for the world we are living in? Yeah. So there are a couple of things. One is that Epicurus says that for each desire that you have, you should ask yourself, 
what will happen to me if I obtain the object of my desire? What will happen to me if I don't obtain the object of my desire? So some things like wanting food, you should try to get food if you're hungry, right? I mean, you can be happy even if you don't get the food, but if you don't get the food, it'll be, you'll be hungry, it will be unpleasant. You know, but a lot of the things that we desire, we don't really need. And even if we obtain what we desire, it won't bring us happiness. So by having this sort of clear vision of which desires you should pursue and try to obtain versus which desires you should eliminate will bring happiness. Uh, the second thing that he says, this is more a, a very particular um, uh, technique, but he said that you can get mental pleasures even if you're in bodily pain, if you can kind of anticipate the future and you think that it's going to go well, but also if you can have pleasant memories of the past. So one Epicurean technique for trying to keep your life tranquil and happy is to have a stock of pleasant memories of when things were going well with you, when you were interacting with your friends, when you were happy, and then you can look back on those things with gratitude. And by remembering those things, it can help you get through the times when you are, because unavoidably as an animal, there are going to be times when you're in bodily pain. But you can get through those times and still fundamentally uh, have peace of mind and be happy. Wow, this is very, you know, inspiring. And uh, thanks for sharing the, the, the everything. But especially the last one is amazing. And uh, Jashankar, um, I will ask you, you know, some question about very practical teachings of Vedanta that you think, you know, beyond, uh, you know, we are just talking philosophy, spirituality, but you know, um, teachings that we really need in this society. Um, you know, this uh, uh, amazing fact about uh, to have a stock of good memories it reminded me a lot to, to the uh, Pratipaksa Bhavana, uh, you know, in Vedanta, uh, the, you know, this uh, technique to, you know, substitute, um, you know, bad, uh, bad feelings, bad thoughts uh, with positive ones. Uh, especially when you are, you know, you are living a bad period and you have problems. And uh, is, isn't it similar? You know, I think that beyond of, of the framework of what we call, you know, in this case Vedanta and uh, or Epicureanism, you know, uh, the, the, the fact to, to, to be stressed is, uh, you know, this uh, importance of considering intellect uh, fundamental, isn't it? Very true, very true. I, I agree with you. Uh, anything in excess is poison. Even uh, uh, material wealth, if it is uh, more than what I need, if I hoard, it is poison. Food, I overeat, it will be poison. In the sense, it will do more harm than good to me. Same way, if you go to a subtle levels, emotions transacted, if it is uh, given more than what is required for the other person, if it is received more than I can digest that emotion, then he say, please stop it, enough. Even knowledge, if it is gained more than what a person can imbibe, absorb, it will, it will simply just uh, spill over. It will be of no use to us unless that knowledge is transformed into wisdom. Same way, even Vedanta, if it is not in taken in right proportion, 
how much now for example you may be uh, taking uh, more of vedanta philosophy you may be applying in your life but if i get so enthusiastic and i follow christian i will be fooled so what is very important is to follow a middle path in life now what is uh, another very important point is to add on anything excess is a poison whenever i walk past a merchandise i am amazed at the number of things i can be without it now i walk past a shop i already have uh, three or four wrist watches my purse can buy i i am financially capable of buying uh, uh, you know uh, another few more but if i am going to keep adding whatever that is available in the shop then uh, it it will uh, only weigh in my chest it is not going to give me any happiness so this point is what we call as realization in vedanta now coming back to this question that pratipaksha bhavana and application of intellect now pratipaksha bhavana is to keep aside all the negativity like professor also mentioned like uh, you know uh, every human being wants to be happy whether i want to make money i want to be in in any relationship or i want to start a new business i want to be happy whether even in the spiritual field also why will i take to spiritual field i want to be happy so that happiness is the pursuit of uh, you know activity for all human beings but uh, are all human beings happy no there is a technique to gain that happiness like how we have uh, uh, technology as a tool to make use of uh, you know uh, reality a, a artificial intelligence then it is a technology same way spirituality is also a technology we should know how to use that technology spiritual technology when i say technology here it is uh, it is not a gadget it is knowledge of what uh, happiness can do to us what this lives uh, experiences can do to us now by by uh, uh, making use of various experiences gross physical emotional intellectual and spiritual and keeping away all the negative elements around us vedanta uses the word you know dukkha nivritti dukkha nivritti dukkha means sorrow every human being in the pursuit of happiness they want to stay away from sorrow and court happiness but life is always is a mixture of uh, joy sorrow profit and loss you know uh, honor or dishonor somebody is praising us somebody is uh, putting us down using us as a doormat now how am i how am i going to function there so if if you have to ask the pratipaksha bhavana and uh, uh, use of intellect then i should consciously use my thinking to keep away from 
all the negativities. This is the significance of chanting uh, the Shantihi. Shantihi, 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 three times. To keep away all the disturbances from the, the first Shantihi in invocatory prayer in Vedanta, it is chanted. It is chanted loudly. And the second Shantihi is chanted, recited with, with less intensity. The, to keep away the disturbances from the immediate environment. The third Shantihi is recited, chanted very in whispers to oneself. So that the negative elements from my own personality, body ache, body pain, and that is what one of the main uh, uh, epicenter of Epicurus princi principle. To keep away from uh, bodily pain and, uh, and court uh, uh, happiness, as Professor mentioned, it is not happiness, not through indulgence in the sensuality, as he rightly mentioned. But human, human uh, uh, also have physical needs, but we should not become a victim of it. So by using this beautiful uh, uh, tool, you know, uh, uh, the three Shantihi is recited so that the mind, human mind is peaceful. And with the uh, intellectual assessment in every action, a person can proceed towards uh, not just happiness, but peace of mind. I just conclude with this. When I fulfill a desire, I am happy. I need not be peaceful. Because when I fulfill one desire, another desire is waiting. So, intelligently, I should be in a position to fulfill a desire and I should be wise enough not to fall a prey so that I keep on fulfilling desire after desire. Then I get neutralized, saturated. When I understand what this desire can do to me and objectively, intellectually, if I go through that desire, then I raise above the desire. I am not just happy, I am peaceful. When I completely raise above all my desires, I become permanently peaceful. This is the sum and substance of Vedanta philosophy, which we learn through Pratipaksha Bhavana. Thanks very much for this, uh, you know, amazing podcast with Professor Tim O'Keefe of uh, Georgia State University. Thanks very much, um, Professor. I hope you enjoyed staying with us. Yes, I did. Thank you very much for inviting me. I enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, you know, I really appreciated your, you know, way to, uh, you know, explaining uh, Epicureanism in a very, how can I say, in uh, the noblest, you know, uh, meaning possible, very grounded, you know, philosophy, so without sophisms or, you know, I, I really appreciate it because, you know, each, like, uh, you know, you said and same Jayashankar, you know, each philosophy teaches something, you know, in life and uh, every event, everything, you know, it's, it's very precious and I will remember this memory stock image um, you gave me that is uh, really, really beautiful and brilliant. Um, thanks to Dr. Jashankar Krishnamurti, you know, for introducing us uh, to uh, 
um, uh, Vedanta and uh, hope you appreciate the podcast very much thank you very much nice meeting you uh, professor Uh, thanks very much for your attention and availability and hope to see you soon uh, together maybe for another topic and um, thanks to all the audience for listening to um, Cosmic Dancer, Lofi Music, I5 Faith. Always enjoy very good music. Thanks.